0: You've got your Bibles this morning. We're going to Luke chapter thirteen. I don't think I'm going to be very long. Luke thirteen, and starting to read at verse six. It says he spake also this parable: A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he, Under the dresser of his vineyard. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And we would say fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down with the help of the lord this morning i want to preach about the frustration of an unchanged life let's pray father we love you we thank you lord for your presence that we feel we thank you lord for your power we thank you lord that when we gather together we know this is not just this is our tradition but it is more than tradition lord it is an opportunity for us as your people lord god to join together and have you speak to us have you change us, Lord God. And so I pray, Lord, you'd anoint me as we open your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We know, looking back, that Jesus used the fig tree as an example or an object lesson of the nation of Israel. In his natural life, he ministered to them for three years and then at the end of that three years there's some speculation exactly how long it was that from the beginning of his ministry to calvary but they rejected him and like the fig tree they produced no fruit john in his gospel recorded tragically that jesus came to his own people and that they would not receive him and this tree that we read about here in this passage has been intentionally planted, hasn't grown by accident. It's perhaps a little unusual that it's in a vineyard, but it's been planted there. And the tree has taken root and is obviously drawing nutrients from the soil. It's a living tree. But for some reason, the fig tree in this passage was not demonstrating the appropriate purpose for its existence. As it grew and the seasons came and went each year, the tree was supposed to not only get bigger, but it was also supposed to produce figs. And so the owner of the property becomes frustrated with this tree because for three years he has come at the appropriate season expecting something and seeing no change. And he said, let's cut it down. He We would say it's wasting space. It's taking up space that could be used. It's taking up nutrients from the ground that could be being used more productively. And the gardener or the dresser of the vineyard, the man who looked after the vineyard, asked his master for one more year to feed and care for the fig tree. And he said, then if the results are still unchanged, we'll cut it down. This passage of scripture, this particularly the, the, the conclusion of it is both an extension of mercy but also a warning of what would happen to the tree if nothing changed it was given extra time it should have already been fruitful the the expectation of the owner of the property was not unrealistic it should have already been bearing fruit but he has given it a little more time and it's almost as if the lord is saying to israel you have been fruitless and barren and you have a little more time but when the check, when the examination comes again, and we know tragically with the ability of hindsight that because as a nation Israel rejected the Lord, he turned from them, not from individuals within that nation, but from the nation as a whole unto the Gentiles. And that's why we are in the church today, and that's a whole other subject that we can look at another time. Amen. But this is not the only place. Well, we are given a similar kind of picture to this referring to a fig tree. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, it says, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. And if you understand that, that was an indicator there should have been fruit. He came, if haply or by chance he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it, and they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money chains and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? It's not a coincidence in this passage that a fig tree with no fruit is mentioned in parallel as a temple with no prayer. There's a lesson for us there. There's a lesson for us there. We need to be connected to the source of life. And this morning, if you've been born again of water and spirit, you know that Jesus can change your life. You know that He can turn your life from darkness to light, from being broken to being made whole. And it does not matter how long I walk with God, I never get tired of seeing the transforming power of the Holy Ghost working in people's lives. When someone comes into the presence of God and may not even understand what is going on, but there is a hunger in their hearts, that overrides their fear, causes them to reach out to God, and he marvelously fills them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that never ever gets old. Amen. It happens at the deepest level of who we are, at the level of our soul and our spirit, but it is visible on the outside. There is something about new believers, and I'm not going to point anybody out today to embarrass anybody, but even with such little knowledge of the Word of God, having been born again, there is a change that takes place. There is something that is visible about them because of the power of the Spirit of God. And I've shared some of these examples before, but when I was a boy, I don't know if Brother Gavin will remember, my mom probably does, But when I was just a little kid, from time to time in that little old church in Townsville, our pastor would show these film strips. Now, some of you aren't even old enough to know what a film strip is. It's pre-iPhone. It's pre-internet. It's pre-any of that stuff. It's where they literally had physical film. That actually existed once upon a time. And we would watch these film strips. I think Brother Glass actually owned the projector that we used to watch these things on. And there was a wonderful man of God who's gone on to his reward now, whose name was Brother Jack Yonts. He was only a little man, but he had a powerful voice, much like our pastor. And he was the home missions director for the church in North America. His department was responsible for trying to plant churches across North America. And one of the programs that God gave him during his time in that role was what we still use, which is called Christmas for Christ. And we practice that every Christmas, even in Australia, where we take up an offering at Christmas time with the sole purpose of seeing the gospel reach the unreached within our nation. And in these film strips, as that powerful voice of Brother Yance would speak, he would show these pictures of people that had been born again as a result of home missionaries going to this city or this town or this parish in this county. And he would show, and it would be a picture, it was nearly always a couple, be a man and his girlfriend or a man and his wife, and, and, and then he would show a picture of what they looked like now after having been born again. And even as a child, I used to look at those pictures and think, nah, that ain't real. That's not the same people. Uh, because the, the contrast was so amazing that I used to think, nah, they're, they're telling us stories. But what I did not understand in my childish ignorance was such is the power of the Spirit of God that when somebody is born again and addictions are broken and families are put back together and lives are turned around, that the transformation is not just spiritual, but it is visible as well. Now, if if you're thinking that I'm telling you that if you get born again, you're going to wake up tall, thin and handsome, that's not what we're talking about if that's your goal. But there is a visible experience that happens when we are born again. My old pastor, Brother Jacobson, who some of you knew, was before he was saved, was a heavy drinker who liked nothing more than to go to the pub and get into fights. Which if you ever saw him, you think, wow, because he was only a little guy. But as they say, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog and he had a lot of fight in him. But when he was born again, and he was discharged from the air force in his dischargement papers his commanding officer wrote that even sergeant jacobson's physical appearance had been altered through his conversion that's an ungodly man in the military could see a noticeable physical change this is the power of the spirit of god This is the power of the new birth when we repent of our sins, when we are baptized in the only saving name of Jesus to have those sins washed away, and God pours His Spirit into us. Such is the power of transformation that even our appearance is different. Amen. Amen. I remember when Sister Billette came to North Queensland to visit my mom, who was a new convert, and if I've got any of these details right, my mom can correct them because I was just a child. But she was in North Queensland for I think about 10 days. Is that about right? She was in the midst of a second marriage failure. And in those 10 days, she repented of her sins. She got baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, went back to New South Wales to her husband, and he said, What happened to you? There's something different about you. Now, there is no health product, there is no makeover. There is no fitness regime that can turn somebody around in 10 days. If there was, we'd all have signed up by now. But such is the power of the Spirit of God that the transformation was tangible, noticeable, visible. You know, I can tell, and I don't want to get people coming to church wearing scarves across their faces, but I can often tell how somebody's relationship with God is by their face when they walk through the doors when somebody's in a good place with god there's something about their appearance there's something about I, I, when brother glass was our pastor years ago he came to me and he said what's wrong with so and so i said what do you mean he said they've got the devil all over their face i was like okay because spiritual impacts physical there's a philosophy or a theology is probably philosophy is probably the better word throughout church history that suggested that physical and spiritual were completely separate. That's nonsense. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Your physical life is directly connected to your spiritual life. Try and have one without the other. See how that goes. Try and remove your spirit from your body. See how long you last. Not going to go too well. Amen. Jesus, the Bible tells us, took Peter, James and John up a mountain one day and the scripture says the word the king james uses is that he was transfigured or he was changed before their eyes you see when jesus walked the streets with them every day he looked just like everybody else that was deliberate scripture says he didn't come looking fancy he came in the form took on him the form of a servant Let's us know that there wasn't really anything about him that was naturally appealing. It wasn't like he was the best-looking guy in town. He came deliberately ordinary. But when he went up the mount of transfiguration with these three of his the three closest apostles to him, he was changed before their eyes, the Bible says. On that mountaintop, he allowed them to see a glimpse of his glory. Scripture says that his face shone like the sun and that His clothes were bright like light. And when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, there's a little of that deposited in you and I. We we are not Him. We will never be God, and I have no desire to be God. But when He fills us with His Spirit, there is a little of that in us. And if you will let it, it will shine. He said, I am the light of the world. Then He said, you are the light of the world. He said, a city that set on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen. Amen. We know from Scripture that when Jesus comes back, there will be a final change that takes place. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. says, Behold, I show you a mystery, and it's hard to comprehend. Still, we shall not all sleep. He's talking about death, not having a nap. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. John told us in his epistle that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's our hope today that Jesus is coming back. I'm grateful for the changes that He's made in my life. But that change, that change is the one we're looking for. When He returns and these bodies, this mortal puts on immortality and this corruption puts on incorruptible and we become glorified. Not gods, but glorified with eternal bodies and we are like Him forever. That's the reason I'm here this morning. Amen, because that is our hope. But this morning... I believe God wants to speak to us about what is happening between now and then in the space between that initial conversion experience and that final redemption. I believe God wants us to know today that it is his will for us to continue to change, to continue to be molded, to continue to be transformed. In fact, if you take a moment and think about some of the things that God has been speaking to us about in recent weeks and even months as a church, you will see that there is a common thread that runs through some of that. Last weekend, Brother Kent spoke to us about lying, laying aside sin and weights that hinder us and making it to the end. That's change. Sister Hickler in our foundation conference spoke to us about rising up and not staying where we are. That's change. Brother Hickler spoke to us about being released. That's change. That's going from one place to another. And and many of our other local ministry, if you look at the message, you'll see even our theme for 2021 is go. It's not from one postcode to another, but it's it's talking about growth as well, from where we are now to where he wants us to be. It's about change. The kingdom of God is about change change the kingdom of the church is a living thing living things grow they change it's hard to preach about change and not read from romans chapter 12 in the first two verses where paul said i beseech you or i urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be transformed, have who you are changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect or complete will of God. There is a completion that is still taking place. And you you cannot do verse 2 until you do verse 1. You cannot be transformed until you present yourself as a living sacrifice, until you say, here I am God not my will but thine be done. Until you do verse 1 you can forget about verse 2. Because as long as we haven't done verse 1 we're still in control. But when we obey verse 1 verse 2 starts to happen because we become changed. Where does it begin? In here. The renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds amen and when god changes the way that we think it changes the way that we speak it changes the way that we act it changes who we are and we begin to complete his will in our lives second corinthians 3 and 18 says but we all with open face beholding as in a glass or you can understand that to mean a mirror the glory of the lord are changed into the same image what's that image it's the image that we're looking at from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the lord now when you read i didn't read the scripture where the lord was transfigured but when you read that passage the word transfigured in that passage the word transformed in romans 12 and the word changed in second Corinthians 3 all come from the same greek word metamorpho That's, i don't speak it so pronunciations are relevant but we, we connect that with the English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a process of change over time with a final image in mind. That's a very basic statement because that's about all I understand of science. Is that It's basic, but it's, it is a process where change is taking place with a goal in mind. That's why Paul said we are changed from glory to glory. That's the process to the same image. That's the final object. That's the target, that's what we're aiming for, or more importantly, that's what God is aiming for. This, these verses speak to us about change as an ongoing process, not a once-off experience. If your relationship with God started and ended at a new birth, you are not where God wants you to be, whether you're here 10 minutes, 10 years, or 50 years. It begins at a new birth. We've heard about that so much recently. That is the beginning. But it is ongoing. And I want to help somebody this morning when you are not willing to change. It leads to a path. We actually choose a path of frustration, of struggle, and of unfulfillment. And when you will not, you're you not willing to change at the direction of the Lord, you will be frustrated. And you will feel like nothing is where it should be and everything will seem harder than it needs to be. And what happens then is that leads to discontent and blaming everybody else for everything that's wrong in your life. A frustrated, unchanging believer is a miserable person. A miserable person. They get nothing out of church and they don't bring much of value to church. Trying to be a little gentle. Their gifts and their callings remain dormant and inactive because they're not involved in the process that God has designed for them to be involved in. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Neither This is written to the church, okay? So when you read this, think these people are born again. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness under sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You read on in that same chapter, it basically says that whoever you choose to yield to, they're your master. The, the one that you yield to, they're pulling the strings. They're guiding and controlling your life. Now we, we understand the word yield means to give way to surrender, to hand over control. We have give way signs in the U.S. The same sign says yield on it, but it's the same thing. When I pull up at a give way sign, what is my responsibility? To let other things happen first before I happen or I'm going to cause an accident. Amen. We need to yield ourselves unto God that our members would be instruments of righteousness that what we do who we are would produce righteousness you cannot do that on your own it's interesting in mark chapter four it's the story of the soul and the seed and the four different kinds of ground and how the lord said a soul went out to sow he threw seed and there were four different kinds of soil that that seed landed on that produced four different results if i don't want to spend a lot of time but some of you might not be familiar with that and so there was good ground which brought forth fruit that was productive. There was stony ground, which the, the the fruit, the seed began to grow, but then it dried up. I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing this, so if I mess it up, you'll have to forgive me. There was the wayside. It was the hard, compacted ground where the seed fell and the birds just came and took the seed. There was the, the, the thorny ground where the seed brought forth life, but because of all the other things, it was choked. And it, it, the Bible says, and this is... This is what really caught my attention in Mark 4 and 7. It says, And some fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Yielding not only speaks of surrender, but it speaks of what we produce. People talk about yield, a crop. They talk about the yield of a certain crop. So what we surrender and what we're producing is connected to how we are yielding, how we are surrendering amen why is it why is it that some people remain unchanged in the kingdom of god why does that happen i mean all of us would say being filled with the holy ghost was an amazing experience being delivered from whatever god delivered you from being your, your family being put but what we what we all acknowledge the changing power of god but then we come into this kingdom and park the bus sometimes Why does that happen? I wish there was a one size fits all answer, but if there was, life would be a lot easier. Sometimes it's fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of what it will cost. We're afraid of what the Lord will want us to do. We're afraid sometimes of the things that we don't want to let go of because they've become entwined in our identity even if they're not good things. We've heard about some of that recently. We're afraid and so we just choose to stay where we are because we'd rather rather just stay here than take a chance. At some point with God, you took a chance. Faith is basically taking a chance. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost, you took a chance that this God you're hearing about would give you this spirit they were telling you about and you reached out and said, all right, let's do this. You took a chance and God responded to the promises of His Word. Sometimes change is inconvenient because it requires us making some adjustments. I think it was Brother Kent that said God's not going to do for us what we can do for ourselves. The Apostle Paul, late in the book of Acts, was giving his defense and his testimony before a whole collection of different rulers. And he stood before one of the rulers. I think it was Felix. And the Bible says that he spoke to Felix and he spoke to him of righteousness, of temperance, and judgment and paul's preaching was obviously powerful because the scripture says that felix trembled the preaching was affecting this this is an idol worshiping ungodly man he trembled but then he said to paul go away and i will send for you in a convenient season when it suits my agenda For some people, change is inconvenient. Well, if I make that commitment, I'm going to have to change this part of my life. If I acknowledge that God wants to move this, I'm going to have to sacrifice that. It's inconvenient. One another area where sometimes we don't change is because we're stubborn. Anybody ever been stubborn? If you didn't raise your hand, you're being stubborn right now. We've all been stubborn in one way or another. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's subtle. But there's something about human nature. We could, there's not many of us that can say, well, I've never been stubborn. I've always just done what everybody wanted. If you feel that way about yourself, talk to your immediate family. Let them clarify things for you. But stubbornness. You know the Old Testament says? Stubbornness is as a sin of witchcraft. We think we're just, you know, we're just a little bit stubborn. Stubbornness. Is as the sin of witchcraft. Why are they connected? Why would not you say stubbornness is really bad, not good, but it's, it's as the, because, because when we're stubborn, we're resisting God's way and choosing another way, which means we're looking to another power source. We're looking to something else to provide what it is that we want. And the Lord's saying, don't be stubborn. You read words in the King James like stiff-necked, hard-hearted, uncircumcised of heart there were some people did god don't let us ever be described as being twice dead and plucked up by the roots i do not want that in my resume but we are stubborn that's why the scripture says today if you will not harden your hearts today harden not your hearts don't be stubborn let god speak to us let him change us hallelujah one of the issues with change is the comfort of the flesh. You get born again, life's better when you're born again. Usually. Usually. I mean, if you used to drink, you're not spending money on that anymore. If you used to do drugs, you're not wasting money on that anymore. If you used to smoke, you're not wasting money on that. There's a lot of things that are just automatic improvements when you get born again. Not everything. Don't believe that everything's fantastic. There are going to be challenges, but... We can become comfortable where we are. Get to church, pay our tithes, tick those boxes. I'm good. We're comfortable in our flesh. We, we don't want that. I mean, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he was a good man. You know, most of us would look at him on the outside and say, I'd be very happy to have that young man in our church. He was rich to start with. <laughs> he could build us a new church but he came to jesus and he said what do i need to do to be saved and the lord said keep this commandment that commandment that commandment." and he said i've done all those things since i was a kid and then his mistake was the next question what am i still lacking you're going to ask god that question you better be ready to hear the answer if you're not don't ask it and he asked the lord what am i still missing what do i need to change and The Lord, being who he was, looked into that young man's heart, saw that riches had its claws wrapped around his heart. And he said, sell what you've got, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the Bible says the young man went away exceedingly sorrowful because he was rich. You know, there were not a lot of people that the Lord asked to follow him specifically. He was given a wonderful opportunity because there were people that came to the Lord and said, Lord, I'll follow you. And he said, no, you go home. (laughs) But this young man received an invitation and he made a decision that he couldn't pay that price. So be careful what you pray. You know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, you're God in heaven, I'm down here on ground, so I'm going to let my words be few. (laughs) Sometimes we pray so fast, our mouth's moving faster than our brain. You better be careful what you ask, God. You better be careful what you promise, God, because He's a prayer answering God. I have a good friend who says that she never prays for patience, because when you, pr- you we have this wacky way of thinking sometimes. Lord, I need more patience. Give me more patience, and what will then happen is I'll go to bed tonight, and while I'm asleep, the Lord will download more patience into my spirit, and I'll get up in the morning and I'll be a more patient person. Thank you, Jesus. It just happens while you sleep. If you pray for patience, you know who he's going to send it to? Don't look at your spouse right now. You know, the people he's going to use to grant you patience, they're probably sitting in this building this morning. Vessels in the hands of God to answer your prayers that you prayed. You are agents of change, whether you like it or not. Whether it's what you do well or what you do badly, God is going to use you as an agent of change for somebody else. Comfort of the flesh. Some people want control, they want to measure how they serve God. Those Pharisees out there in their herb gardens, you know, the Bible says they, they tithed of their herbs. There's this old Pharisee out there. And, on the Sabbath day, he's got ten little sprigs of mint. Pluck, takes one out. But when a woman with an alabaster box full of precious ointment breaks all sorts of social norms and breaks it on the feet of Jesus, they called it a waste because they had no control. Some people don't change because they have a set way in their minds of how that change should happen that, well, I'm happy to change, but it should happen this way. This person should do this. Then this should happen, and then I should have that opportunity. And when the timing is right for this, and it will all just happen the way I want it to happen. And the Lord's thinking, well, I'm glad you've got that all sorted out. You don't need me. I'll catch up with you later on. I know people, not here, so don't start looking around. I know people personally whose ministries... I'm talking about people called to preach the Word of God are stuck because they want somebody else to line things up the way they think they should be lined up for them. If God called them, He's going to provide that way. Our job is to get in line with Him, not to say, well, God until the pastor does this or until the music director does that or until the youth leader does this or until my parents, my brother, my sister, my boss, my cousin, my mailman, the guy who washes my dog, until they have it how then the change just can't happen, Lord, I'm sorry. And ministries fail because people want it to happen their way. God is not going to do it your way. I'm say that he is not going to do it your way. If you say to him, I want to serve you. I want you to change me. I want you to mold me, to shape me. He is going to say, we do it my way. And until you get that, you're going to be frustrated. Frustrated. Bash your head against the wall and say, God, why am I still dealing with this? And God is saying, surrender. Yield. Present yourself a living sacrifice. Let's do it my way. how many of us would go to our boss and say, okay, how do you want this done? And they say, well, I want you to do this and this and this. And they say, well, actually, no, you know, I think I'm going to do it this way. How many of your bosses are going to say, yeah, you do what you want on your way to Centrelink? Because you just lost your job. If you wouldn't do it to your boss, why do we do it to God? Why do we say, Lord, this is the model I've chosen. I've laid out my plan here for my life. If I could just get you to sign down here on the bottom and we'll be okay. We laugh, but there's a a lot of truth in that. It's got to be God's way because he knows what he's doing. God wants to change us. I'm going to say that again. He wants to change us. If you are here and you are born again, He wants to change you. He wants to take you from glory to glory. Each step is a step closer to that image that He has, each step is a part of that metamorphosis, and you know going from a caterpillar to a butterfly is an amazing process and you might think I'm going to be a caterpillar all my life but if you will trust God there is a process where he can be glorified in us through us but it must happen his way if we are not changing let me let me let me stop and clarify something change most of the time is incremental there are times Maybe in prayer at home, maybe in an altar in a service, maybe during a worship service where God will supernaturally take something from you. It happens. We've seen it time and time again. But your daily relationship with God is one step after another. It's about faithfulness. It's about today I will serve God. Today I will serve God. Today I will present my body a living. It is step by step. So don't think that change is this fast break, neck break speed just going crazy. It is Most of it is a little by little by little. But if we are not changing, then the issue is in our response to God. It is not that He is not working in us. He wants to change us all. None of us are invisible. Let me make that very clear. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how new you are, if you were here when they laid the concrete. It does not matter. He wants to work in you. He wants to use you. He wants to shape you. Jeremiah in the the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the Bible says the Lord said to him, go down to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something. He went down there, and there was a lump of clay on the potter's wheel if you've ever seen a potter operating. And the Bible says that the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. There was a problem. Whether it was rocks, whether it was sticks, whether it was a part that was, whatever it was, there was a problem. And it does not say that the potter threw the clay out the window and said, well, that's no good. Scripture says he took it and he made it again. That's, And that was a lesson for Israel as a nation, but it's a lesson for us as individuals. We're all marred in the hand of the potter. We've all got bits of stuff sticking in us that shouldn't be there. But if we will, you see, clay has to yield. A a potter that knows what they're doing applies just the right amount of pressure and that lump of sloppy mud begins to shape into something and what a few minutes ago just looked like dirt to somebody begins to look like a vase or a vessel or a cup or a plate or whatever it is they're making because they know what to do with the clay there's another place in the scripture where it says would the clay talk to the potter and say why did you make me like this and that's what we do sometimes we want god to make us someone else I want to be brother so-and-so. He's got money, he's got talent, he's got it all sorted out. Well, you're not brother so-and-so. Get over it. Let's look at one more passage of Scripture and wrap this up. James chapter 1. Talking about the frustration of an unchanged life. I don't want to be stuck because of my actions, because of my choices. And if I'm honest, in the 40-something years that we've been in in Pentecost, there have been seasons where I have been stuck because of my actions, because of my attitudes, because I wasn't interested in yielding. But the moment you wake up, the moment you come to yourself and say, Lord, help me to yield, the process begins again. James chapter 1 starting to read verse 18 says of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures don't want to spend a lot of time on that verse but understand that by the power of the word of god we are born again amen we have new life first fruits of his creatures wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of god I'll go out in a limb and say wrath and frustration go hand in hand. Verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That basically means you've got an abundance of wicked to choose from. Get rid of that. And receive with meekness being yielded the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is a snapshot in a certain sense of what happens when we're born again. The word of God when we yield to it brings new life it is it saves our souls but then in verse 22 it continues but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror for he looks at himself goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues, that's ongoing therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let me break that down in present-day English. God's Word is like a reflection. Let me ask you this question. What do you do with the Word of God? When it's preached, what do you do with it? Are you taking it home? Are you thinking about it? Are you praying about it? Are you meditating about what the Lord has spoken to us when we get together in the house of the Lord? Or by the time you walk through those doors, is it gone? You need to take it with you. You need to think about it. If, if you're a note taker, take notes. If, you're, if you've just got a good memory, remember. If you jot things down, if you want to hear it again because you really felt like God was talking to you, you get the podcast there's access but it's up to us what am i doing with the word of god we live in a soundbite society where everything is so many seconds long and a lot of people's walk with god is as deep as the memes they post on social media that's not looking into the law of the lord that's not letting it reflect into our hearts nothing changes and you know it's easy to look you know it's very easy to look in the mirror and say, you know, I could do to lose a few kilos. Good talk. See you tomorrow. Nothing changes until you take what you see and put it into action. Whether it's convenient or, you know, <laughs> I can get myself in trouble here, but we back out of our driveway quite often. and As we're backing out of the driveway, my wife will say, man, we need to clean that garden bed or that needs to be fixed. I'm thinking, what are you telling me now? We're backing out of the driveway. I'm not going to stop and get out and weed the gardens while I'm pulling away from the house. And it's like, this is not the right time. There never is really a right time to weed the garden, but that's that's just my opinion. That's why she does it. I know, I know that. She's just helping me remember. But we're like that with the Lord sometimes. It's not always convenient. The Lord's saying, hello, and we're saying, not now, God. I'm kind of busy. But when the Word of God is preached, you need to understand... The preaching of the Word of God is what saves our souls. That's what the Bible says. So when when the Word of God is ministered to us in a country where we have access to it freely, where we are not persecuted for meeting together, where we can buy as many Bibles as we like, what are you doing with it? Are you looking into the Word of God and saying, God, I'm seeing what you're seeing in my heart. I want to change that. I want to be yielded. Or are we stubborn, wanting control, comfortable in our flesh, fearful, inconvenient, whatever else is on that list? Are we letting the Word of God speak to us? It's not enough to say, man, that was a good service and go home. It's not enough to say, "Wow, well, Brother Gavin's doing a great job teaching that series on Philippians. I'm really enjoying that. It's worthless if you don't apply it. It's of no value if it dies at the door. It's got to be applied. Otherwise, we're all coming to church, looking in the mirror, and going home and forgetting about who we are and what the Lord just said to us. If you can't remember what was preached by lunchtime on Sunday, something is wrong. I'm not saying every week. Our pastor used to get up some Sundays when we were kids and say, what did I preach last week? And the whole place would be silent. And we start racking our brains. It's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. But see, that's human nature. We move on quickly. And that's okay. I'm not going to start doing pop quizzes of what was preached last November. But the Word of God needs to speak to us. And we need to hear it and do it. And that will produce change. If you're frustrated, is God's Word speaking to you? If you feel like you're not content, you just feel like you're on a merry-go-round going round and round like a hamster in a wheel, are you looking at the mirror? Are you doing what the Word of God says to do? Is it renewing your mind? Because that's how you change. There's no magic potion. There's no shortcut. It's take this book, get it into here and here, and do what it says. And you will change. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I'm struggling with. There's an answer. You don't know where I've come from. There's an answer. You don't know the hurt of my background. There's an answer. You don't know the things I've got to overcome. Hear it. Do it. Watch him change you. Because when you say you don't know, you're telling him he can't do it. Because I'm not changing you. I'm just one of those change agents. I'm sent to, you know, irritate you and upset you and do all those things. But if you will hear it and do it, I don't want you know, you will have battles as a Christian. You will struggle. There will be hard times. There will be tribulation. That's what the Bible said. You will have to battle against your flesh. You're going to have to battle against spiritual things from time to time. You may have to struggle in the world in which we live. But please, don't let your struggle be between you and God. Let that be strong. Because if that is strong and you're changing, you can deal with all of that. But if you're not changing, you can't face the battles. And sometimes that's our problem. We yield to the battle so quickly because we haven't been yielding to the one who's already got the victory. Let's stand together this morning. You don't have to be frustrated. You don't have to be unchanged. You just got to let him do what he wants to do. Let's lift our hands together and worship the Lord for a moment.